might do a hat trick here. But I was just thinking about, you know, you know people look back at cave drawings. They look back at stick figures or, or like when a little kid draws a stick figure or when you see just primitive cave drawings, you can just barely make out what it's supposed to be, just bare bones. And we have a tendency to look at that and be like, oh, isn't that, uh, it's quaint. Oh, isn't that cute that uh, people way back then, the cave people, looked at stick figures and were just blown away like it was a blockbuster movie? Isn't it crazy that cave people were so mentally primitive that a stick figure on a cave wall was like a, a blockbuster movie? Like going to Blockbuster? You know, when they would draw them, them stick figures on the wall, it was like going to Blockbusters and renting a movie for us, you know? We act like that's, that's cute and kind of primitive, but it's like we relived what happened then through video games. Where, like, I think about, like, the way video games looked early on, where they're just, there's such primitive graphics. They basically are stick figures. I mean, even just going with the first video game I ever saw... I actually remember the first time I ever saw somebody playing a video game. Like maybe I'd seen it, maybe I'd seen something at an arcade, but this was the first time for sure that I ever remember seeing a video game and definitely the first time I saw a video game in somebody's home. And we had these family friends and they had a son who was, I think he was four years older than me. And uh, so he kind of showed me the ropes with a lot of stuff. Like, we, we were really close to this family for many years. And, their, yeah, their son, he was, like, just old enough to be, like, beyond. He, he wasn't a peer of me, so he kind of would show me cool things that existed. And one day we were over at their house, and he had a group of friends over, and they were playing an Atari. I was tiny. I couldn't have been older than four, but I think I, I was, like, probably three or four years old. And they were like all the boys were crowded around this Atari, and I had no idea what it was. I'd never seen a video game. And they were playing this game with a little a guy riding a bird. It was like this little pixel, this, this tiny little like pixelated bird, giant bird being ridden by a man jumping around on these different levels. And I had no idea what it was. And it was. It was esoteric to me. And like all the older boys, there were like three or four older boys crowded around this Atari. And like someone was playing it and the other ones were like giving him advice and like, jump here, do this. And I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea what this was. I was interested in the fact that they seemed to know what was going on. And they seemed to be, uh, to I, I don't know. I was just, I was interested in like, they seemed to know what's going on and like, it had a joystick, like it wasn't a controller, like whatever they were using had a joystick, which seemed really intimidating to me. There's something about those old video game joysticks that just have always intimidated me for some reason. I, I'm not very good at using them, but this is even before I'd ever tried. It was just like, what the fuck is this thing? But watching this like little bird with a man riding it, like jumping around, just that moment just, it just burned into my brain. And it was basically a stick figure. But the fact that it even existed was impressive. Like the reason why it captivated me and the reason why these, these boys were like passionate about playing the game is because like 
it was simple. Like the graphics were basically a step above stick figures, but our imaginations were doing the rest of the work. And like, for me, it was mysterious and esoteric. Like I didn't understand what it was. I'd never seen a man riding a bird. You know, I'd never seen, and it was a little outline, you know, it's like the graphics are just this like one color outline. Like it might even have been like just white on a black screen for all I know, but it was just like an outline of a, a man riding a bird. And, and there's obviously some sort of purpose to it. And these boys, these older boys really cared about what happened. And I was just like, what is this? And, you know, I didn't know the name of that game for decades. Because I never played an Atari. I've never once played an Atari. It was like a little bit before my time, maybe. And I just didn't, you know, I knew people like that who had them. But by the time I was old enough to be playing stuff, Nintendo was around. By the time I was old enough to play stuff, Nintendo was around. But um, that, that memory just has stayed with me my entire life. I remember the room. I feel like I can almost see the boys' faces. But it just stayed with me, and I, that, that would be a big deal. That would be like a memory, your first time seeing a video game as a tiny little kid, and it being that weird. It wasn't like it was Mario, like it was something you continue to see. Like, I never saw, like, later versions of this bird game, because that's what it was. It was like, this is a bird game, but not just a bird game. It's a man riding a bird. <laughs> He's riding a bird like a horse. And it wasn't like Mario or something where, like, each new video game system had its new incarnation of Mario. So it's like it stays with you. Like, Mario and Zelda, you know, those stay with you. But, like, the bird game, it wasn't like Nintendo or PlayStation was coming out with new versions of the of the bird game that I know I knew of. So, like, to me, it was just this weird esoteric memory. And then decades later, I feel like it might even have been within the last year or two. So this is like over 30 years later, I decided like, oh, I should look that up. Because sometimes you, you imagine things differently than they were. Like sometimes you have a, a very early memory like that. And when you actually see what it was that you were seeing, like you know where you got the memory, but it's different. It's changed a little bit. In this case, like when I finally, I, just, I think I just typed in like Atari bird game. And it's a game called Joust. It's a game called Joust. It's a game called Joust. Joust. A game called Joust. It was a game called Joust. Or the bird game was called Joust. For some reason that makes me laugh. Like <laughs> For some reason the fact like that word Joust. Because I guess it, yeah, it, is a, it is a jousting game. Like you're running around on a giant bird like it's a horse. And I think you do, maybe you do have like a little pointy lance. Or at least the artwork has that. Like when I looked up the artwork, I think it is a guy, like a Viking or something. It's like a knight or a Viking riding a bird, riding an ostrich. And I think he has like a pokey lance. What we call a pokey lance. He's got a pokey lance. We call him pokey lance. So the, that's where the joust comes in. I, I don't know if you can see the pokey lance in the game. It might be so primitive that you just, you can barely make out a little man riding a bird. But when I looked up, when I found joust, after 30 years of having no idea what this bird game I saw was, I never saw it again after that. 
I was relying 100% on this one fleeting little memory from when I was three or four years old. When I actually found Joust, when I actually looked up Joust, exactly what I remembered. It was exactly the it visually identical to my memory. So that was seared into my brain. But what got me going on this joust kick here, we're on a joust kick, got me going down the, the, the joust road is uh, just the fact that the graphics were so primitive. And like even though that was my introduction to video game graphics, it wasn't like that didn't become my standard. Like, you know, I was talking in the last episode about, you know, how everything becomes kind of conservative. Like anything, basically anything sentimental, anything that forms like a sentimental response in you, that has, that has the potential to become kind of a conservative tendency in you. And that could be politics, but it, 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 chances are it applies to every single thing. And I was saying in the last episode how, like, if you grew up on 90s gangster rap, you might very well be going around today being like, well, nothing ever surpassed 90s gangster rap. I wish, I wish that rap was still like 90s gangster rap. I wish that rap today was still like Tupac, because that's the best. You know, if you're saying that, that's a conservative tendency. Even though you're talking about rap music... Like, that's being conservative, and that's where all conservatism comes from. It's sort of a sentimentality. It's sort of an attachment to a certain time. And chances are it's during your formative years. It's why a lot of people, at least they used to, listen to the same music for the rest of their life. Like, like they'll listen to what they were into as teenagers for the rest of their life or something like it. The the reason that's so common is because, like, they – that formed, like – that set their standard. Um, but with video games, like, even though those, like, even though Joust, even though Joust was the first video game I ever saw, it, you know, it, it, what I'll say is it was impressive simply because it existed. Like, something that looked that way, like, as simple as it was. I was basically looking at stick figures. I was basically looking at a cave drawing but the fact that it existed at all, and like even though by then, like by the time that I'm a kid, I've I've seen all kinds of amazing animated cartoons. I've seen all kinds of special effects. But what made these primitive graphics so impressive, and why me and the other boys, why our imaginations were willing to do the rest of the work, basically looking at these primitive etchings on the screen, is because like. It was being controlled. It was it was a new medium. It's like something in us is like, even though this looks like absolute shit compared to even a Disney cartoon from 50 years ago, I'm willing to accept this because it's a new medium. And one of the freaking boys in this room is controlling that little bird man. One of the boys in this room is controlling that little bird man. And that's never been done before. So the fact that I'm basically looking at stick figures doesn't matter. Like my imagination will fill in the rest because this is exciting. This is new in some way. And then what happens is like the the pictures on the screen get better and better. Super Nintendo's amazing. And that's where my own conservatism kicks in. 
Like, I'm a video game conservative. I'm an RPG conservative 100%. I think RPGs peaked in the early 90s through the early 2000s and then dropped off hard. And, and of course, like, I, I lost interest in video games. I couldn't spend the rest of my life playing video games, especially 80-hour RPGs. But one of the reasons I lost interest in RPGs, too, is because they stopped being good. They started adding voiceovers, which to me was criminal. The whole idea is that you're reading the text. It's like reading a book. Like adding voiceovers, and they, and they ended up being awful voices. They ended up being like anime voiceovers. And RPGs in general started to get more and more anime influence, too, which I didn't like. But they started doing these like anime-type voiceovers. Or even if they weren't anime-style, they were the worst fucking voices you've ever heard. And I only played a few of them before I was like, oh, if this is... You can't turn these off. Like the Sweet Coden series, you know, one of my all-time favorites. Probably, arguably, my all-time favorite. An argument inside of me with myself. Arguably, my all-time favorite. They started adding voiceovers, and I just couldn't hang with it. I'm like, I love this video game series so much, but I can't listen to these voices. To me, it's like, what that is, is it's like you're reading an amazing book, but it's reading out loud to you in obnoxious voices. And I know that's basically what people do with audiobooks, but I don't listen to those. You know, I'm not against audiobooks, but I've just never listened to one. It, it kind of goes, I don't know, it's just not what I want to do. I understand it. You're, like, if, you, if you're driving or you can't be sitting there reading. But it's a different experience, you know? But uh, when, video, when RPGs start adding voiceovers, I'm like, this ruins it. Because it used to be like reading a visual book. That's kinda, that was kind of the glory of an RPG. It takes like 60 hours minimum to finish. And... You're reading text the entire time, and it's illustrated. It's like it's like an illustrated book that you have control over. And so I'm an RPG conservative, 100%. RPGs from the early 90s to maybe the year 2000, 2001. We don't even go very far into the 90s. I think the last RPG I truly liked was like Sweet Coden 3. I don't know what year that was, probably 2001 or 2002, maybe. After that, it was just over for me. I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't get into it. And, you know, and, and so like, I will always hold on to that period. I'll say that the graphics to me, like Super Nintendo RPG graphics, PlayStation 1, like, cause PlayStation 1, uh, what was really great about that is like some developers tried to, uh, they basically tried to do like a more detailed version of Super Nintendo graphics, and that looked really good. On a PlayStation, that ended up really good. It was still pixel art. Like, for example, like Sweet Coden uh, 1 and 2, and especially number 2. You know, it was still like Super Nintendo-style pixel art, but because it was on a PlayStation, they could add just a little more detail and they could kind of smooth it up a little bit. They'd also gotten better at doing it. Like, you know, these developers had more experience, like making, knowing how pixel art works. And so that to me is kind of perfect. Like Super Nintendo, you know, PlayStation 1, like pixel art, this just really, it just looks really smooth and good. 
like Final Fantasy uh, 3, aka 6. That Those graphics to me are perfect. Chrono Trigger, perfect. That's my ideal. Anything that goes too far past that sucks. Like Final Fantasy 7, I'm attached to the graphics in my own way because they basically tried to do that. They tried to like make the characters blocky and pixelated, kind of like the old school ones, but it got kind of weird in 3D. I still like those graphics a lot. Part of it might just be sentimentality, but like to me, like my ideal is like mid 90s, maybe late 90s, like 1994 to 1999 RPGs. That is the way they should look. That's the way the music should sound. Those are the sort of games that you should play, but you can't do it forever. And like when I've had the spare time and, uh, you know, whatever, just boredom over the last number of years, I'll every once in a while, I'll, I'll download some game that's like trying to do an old school 90s RPG. Like they're, they're kind of trying to do a throwback, an ode, an ode. It's gonna get it, they're trying to do an ode. It's kind of a throwback. Um, I like the idea, and they're usually like impressive looking. But when you actually play them, you're like, yeah, you just can't recreate the magic. This is like a good cover band or something. So that's sort of the thing in conservatism is there's this ideal that's been formed in your mind. Mid-90s RPGs. That was when things were the best. We need, to, we need more of that. We need to go back to that. Well, at the same time, having to accept that there's no way to recreate that either. So instead of like being, um, and that, that's discouraging. You know, it's so discouraging when you're like, there's this ideal of when things were, in my opinion, the best they ever were. And I want things to be like that again. I want, I want that to be how things are. And these people who are, who are trying to put that in the past kind of feel like uh, my enemy or something. You know, kind of having to reconcile that, like having this ideal with the fact that it's impossible to do now. Like, what do you do with that? How do you reconcile that? Well, I would say, like, be influenced by the ideal that you have of how things were. We do have to continue to do new things, even if it's just reinventing the wheel, even if it's just reinventing something that already existed. Like, I know enough to know that you can't just make human beings do one thing forever. They will, even if they're not even, even if they're not doing it on purpose, they change things. Even if they're not doing it on purpose, like they have some idea like, oh, I'd like to do this different. A lot of it's even ego driven. Some of it's like function, like, oh, hey, what if we did this slightly different? That leads to a whole new set of changes. Sometimes it's ego driven. Like I want to make my own mark. I want to change things so that I can put my signature on it. That's a motivation for people. But, uh, you know, I know better than to think that like, oh, we can just tell human beings there's one way to do this. It's what we're always going to do. And you better not do any different because you have to actually kill people to stop that from happening. If you tell a human being you have to do it this way and do it that way forever because it's the best way, 
you'll eventually, you'll have to restrain that person physically and probably kill them and a lot of other people to stop them from trying to change things. And whether it's for the best or not, you know, and sometimes it will be a good direction. And you never know. That's what I was talking about in the last episode about like the gamble of progress where like you don't actually know. Like anytime somebody thinks they have a good idea, no matter how sound it's, it seems, no matter how right it seems, it's still going to be a gamble as far as how it plays out. So there's this gamble of progress. And, you know, and there's a gamble to stagnation too. I mean, you could see this as simply as like a tribe who is trying to decide whether or not they want to like stay in this. It's a nomadic tribe and they found a good place to settle down for a little bit. The summer in this place has been wonderful. It's been bountiful. It's been bountiful, beautiful and bountiful. And, uh, now it's like fall is here. Things are kind of thinning out. Some people in the tribe are saying like, oh, if we stay in this spot, like this spot has been great to us, but we've kind of exhausted it. And if we stay here during the winter, I have a feeling that we're going to starve and freeze to death. And some other people are like, well, th this place has been wonderful to us. This place has been great. Like even if it gets difficult in the winter, I feel like, you know, we're settled here. This has been working. You know, especially if you've been there a long time and other people are like, no, I think we need to go venture on to this other area. I think if we go further north, the winter is going to be more manageable. It's going to be better for us. And so that's basically the dilemma. Like, do we progress? Do we go somewhere else? Do we change? I think it's warmer up there. Versus like, well, this has always worked for us. We've always been here. What makes you think that's going to be any better? Well, even if you have some sort of reasoning, even if both people have some sort of reasoning, it's a gamble either way. You could stay and you freeze and starve to death. Or you could go to the other place and it ends up worse. It ends up colder and more barren and you freeze and starve to death even quicker. Or it could go either way, where you stay where you're at, and it works out. You know the area, it works out. You survive the winter, you now know how to handle it. You go to the new place, it's wonderful, it's paradise. There's more of everything, there's more resources than you can possibly imagine. It's a gamble either way. But the conser conservatism by its very nature is the idea that this is less of a gamble. The idea is that this is what has worked. And when we stray from that, it creates more problems for us and things get worse. And that's an important thing to remember because it's very easy to think that like we're, you know, it's very easy to look down on our ancestors in the same way. Like I, I started out by saying, like, we kind of look back at people at primitive people and it's like, can you believe they were impressed by stick figures? And, and I'm not even saying people do that in a mean way, like, God, cavemen were so fucking stupid, but just stupid fucking assholes. They, they thought that a, a stick figure on a wall was, was amazing. It's not even that people <laughs> you know, are saying it in this mean way. Just the entire way it's presented is like, look at primitive man, impressed by like a line on a wall. 
you know, but we act like we're far removed from that is what I'm saying. And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, we have a tendency to look at tradition kind of that way too. Like we have a tendency to look at traditions and practices from the past and be like, we know more now. We've learned more now. You know, the example I've always given on here is like when people look back at like, oh, they thought he had demonic possession. <laughs> they thought that he was possessed by a demon. By a demon. And it's like, well, maybe we've gotten better at categorizing the demons. But when someone says, like, she's bipolar, she's bipolar. When someone says she's bipolar or you have this, you have, you're schizophrenic. A million, a DSM full, what we call a DSM full of terms. It's kind of like saying someone's possessed by a demon. There's something amiss here inside of you that, like, we're not going to blame you for, hopefully. We're not going to blame you. But there's something going on inside of you that's beyond your control that's making your life substantially worse and probably the lives of, of other people you know substantially worse. It might even be killing you. It might even be causing you to destroy yourself. It might be causing you to ruin all your relationships. It might be causing you to poison yourself with substances. It might be telling you to kill yourself. It might be telling you to kill someone else. It sounds like a demon. And demons come in all <laughs> demons come in all shapes. Demons they come in all shapes. They come in all shapes. They're not all going to I mean not every demon is going to make you kill yourself. Not every demon is going to tell you to drink. Some demons will tell you to do it all, maybe. But, I mean, even just being depressed and, and being diagnosed, clinically depressed. Like, that sounds like being possessed by a demon to me. It's a demon who tells you to lay in bed. It's a demon who makes you feel overwhelmed when one of your friends sends you a text message. It's a demon who steals your motivation and your joy. I mean, that sounds pretty serious to me. Even, even uh, depression sounds like quite a demon to me. Well, I mean, now we, we don't think of it in terms of demonic possession. But we do categorize it and kind of talk about it that way. It still kind of sounds that way. And when you think about some of these terms... Like schizophrenia. Like these words almost have the same kind of, like, that might as well be Beelzebub to me. Might as well be Beelzebub. You know, it's like we, we have these long words, these strange phrases with confusing and complex etymology. They sound like demon names to me. And calling it demonic possession, well, that was just the best we had available. That was, those were the best words we had available. And the more we get stuck in this sort of uh, pop psychology hellhole that's, that's become a big part of our culture, 
you know, the more we get stuck in that, like the more I'm inclined just to be like, let's just call it demonic possession again. We can, we can use what we've learned through modern psychology. Let's just call it demonic possession again. It might make it easier. You know, there might be like an ebb and a flow to this where, uh, I, I always talk on, about how, uh, like car manufacturers are like, for the next few years, we're going to make cars like very boxy. And because you've been so used to round cars for the last five years, you're going to be like, wow, it's new. It's totally new. Oh, can you believe it? We've all gotten used to round cars. Everything's rounded. It's like driving around in a bubble. Oh, and they just came out with this new car. It's boxy. And then like every car manufacturer does that. They all make boxy cars for the next five or ten years. And then what happens? They, then they go with the round model again. The new design is round. And everyone's like, have you ever... Oh, my God. Can you believe that? It's just like we want contrast. Like we get used to something... And then somebody reinvents the wheel and we're like, wow, I can't believe that. And uh, with, uh, you know, so, I mean, and it's easy to trick people with that. And I don't even know if it's a trick. It just, it just means like we get sick of this thing and we want that thing. But usually the new thing is a, a different version of an older thing. Um. And uh, what was I going to say about that? Oh, man, I'm doing that voice shifted me. Doing that voice shifted me. At some sort of point. But um, just that ebb and that flow where it's like so much. We're easily tricked by like reintroducing an old thing as if it's a new thing. Oh, it was about psychology and demonic possession. That was it. That was it. You know, I almost feel like we've stagnated in terms of like how much we can do with the current framing. Like therapy has worked for people. Psychology, psychiatry has worked for a lot of people. It's also failed a lot of people. It's also fucked a lot of people up. It's helped a lot of people, given a lot of people tools. It's like everything. It's helped a lot of people. It's also fucked a lot of people up more. It's also done nothing for a bunch of people in between. And right now we think that this is the be-all, end-all. This is the way to understand the human mind. And even though it's always changing, even though we're always learning new things, and sometimes those are things we've always known anyway. You know, oftentimes they are. Oftentimes they're things that we just kind of intuitively knew about ourselves. And we're like, studies show this. And it's like, we, we knew that. Why do we need to spend all this money figuring it all out? I thought we knew that. But with, with human psychology, it's like I almost feel like we're stagnating. And it's like, how much more are we going to be able to do with the current framework? We can bring some of the tools we've learned. We can bring some of the – we can bring everything we've learned. Don't have to leave anything behind. But I think it needs to be reframed again. And it might be as simple as just calling it demonic possession again. Like all of these people who have gone to years of therapy, they still hate their mom. Every relationship still sucks. No prescription has been, you know, the perfect pill that's fixed things. 
they're spending money and time doing this and they're just like stuck. That's what, that describes not maybe not everybody, but there are a lot of people who are going through that. I've known them. I've known them. I have. I worked in that business. Spent seven years working in that business and you know I got a feel for just how the industry works. I'm not an expert maybe, but I feel like I have a little bit of insight. And there's certain people where it's just kind of like a uh, a treadmill, and they just they just kind of get into that system, and they just kind of have to do it forever. And it does become almost like a a religion to them, or something. It does like going to therapy is almost like you know going to a religious service. Um. You know, what if like, and, and like, it, you know, it reaches this level of stagnation and it's like, what if you just told that person like, well, hey, we've discovered the demon you're possessed with. It's called um, bipolar two. There's these twin demons. Let me tell you how it works. There's these twin demons. Their names are bipolar I, Roman numeral I, and bipolar two, Roman numeral II. We just want to make it, since we're talking about demons, we're changing the numbers to Roman numerals. Since we're talking about demons, we're changing the numbers to Roman numerals. But yeah, there's these two demons and, you know, we have to, we have to figure out, they're very similar. There's these, these twin demons. And as you can imagine, these demons, they're very similar. They're very similar. But there are subtle distinctions. And we've, what we've learned is that you have bipolar two. We've learned you have bipolar two. It's a demon. And here are ways that we can keep that demon at bay. As of right now, it doesn't seem like we can completely exercise that demon from you. But here are some ways we can keep that demon locked inside. It becomes a, a sermon. It becomes preaching pretty quickly at that point. But no, you, it's, it's like, I almost feel like we do have to start throwing other things at these issues. When things aren't working for someone, it's like, maybe it just is demonic possession. I don't know. Point being, it's like we, you know, we, I mean, you can, you can see where it's like, I don't know it, what, what it comes back to is just like, it's like the, the period that you associate with maybe um, like when things felt good, like oftentimes I feel like we form kind of a conservative sentimentality, like a certain time period becomes a certain standard for us. Depending on how much we're just in life, and uh, and also like how much we're uh, we're not bothered. One sec here. How much? How much? Uh, you know, we're not uh, bothered by uh, like like I don't know. What I'm trying to get at here is it's like oftentimes like the reason why I think people form kind of like their conservative ideal around the time they grew up in is because that was when they felt carefree. That's when they didn't feel burdened by things going on in the world. Like even if bad things were happening and I don't know, I don't know how this would apply to somebody who had an absolutely horrible childhood. Like I have known people who have had a lot of traumatic events in their childhood and they still kind of see their, their childhood period as the ideal. So I guess it depends on what it is and how good your childhood was outside of the bad events that happen. But like I was th thinking about a friend of mine who's very liberal. 
She's my age. She's very liberal. She's not entirely happy with what's going on on the left, but she's not a very politicized person. Like she's just, she's kind of kept her just her her the same liberal views she's had as long as I've known her, probably much longer. I've known her close to a decade. She doesn't. She doesn't take on like the latest. Um, she doesn't take on like the latest dogma of the far left. But her views are definitely left of center, and and she's just kind of maintained them. But what's funny is like she's she worships the '90s. Like she was a a kid, and you know, she's my age. I think I think she's a year older than me. So it's like she became a teenager in the late '90s. She grew up in the '90s. And like that's her time period, and and knowing her, like if I were to ask her, like, well, if if things could be the same way they were culturally as they were in the '90s, would you also want things to be politically the same? And she would say yes. I guarantee you. Like, this is a good friend of mine, and I I wholly believe like that if she could. She, she would make everything the same as the 90s right now. Like in the same way I was talking about how Tucker Carlson said in, in, in an interview, he wishes things could just be 1985 again. Someone like my friend, and I would actually agree with her, like if things could be, if things could feel the same way they did in the mid 90s, I would take that over this in a heartbeat. I know we can't recreate that. That's that dilemma that you can't re- recreate that ideal. But I would love to feel that way. I would love for things to feel that way. It's not that I didn't know anything was going on in the world. It's not that I wasn't scared. It just seemed like things were working. I think it's as simple as that. It seemed like things were working. And since then, it's not just adulthood. Since then, like especially the last 10 years, it's really felt like things have not only stopped working, we've been watching different pieces of the machine stop working one by one. And so when I look back at like what my childhood was like, and maybe having a a good childhood helps, I'm sure it does. But this seems to be a sentiment that's common with a lot of people I know, which is that like they kind of wish things felt the same way they did when they were growing up. Part of it's nostalgia. I don't know. I think they, I think it's also just this feeling that things were working at that time. Maybe you would have felt differently as an adult. And the truth is, I mean, I'm all about now. I'm all about like, hey, you know, I look forward to the future. Whatever it holds, I look forward to it. I have faith in the future. That said, if you were to give me the option, like... We can, we can like, you can, you can stay who you are. You can stay the age you are, but like we can like, we can change the environment we're in. We can change the culture to any, any period that, to any period that it's been in your lifetime. So like we could change everything so that it's, it's basically 2004, we could change everything so it's 1992. We could change even, let's even go with 1985. The week that I was alive in 1985. I wasn't even alive a week of 1985. I was alive for like four days of 1985. We could experience, we could set things back there though. 
I might take any and all of those options. I would not take anything after 2016. I would actually rather be here right now with things the way they are right now than 2016, 2017, and so on. But if you were to offer me a 2012, definitely a 2008. I would take a 2012. If you told me right now, we're going to rewire the culture and the environment, the way everything feels, the way everything's functioning, what people are into, we're going to relive 2012. I would say, you know what? I think I might take it. I think I'll take it. Once you get into like, I don't think I would redo 2015. I think that might be the cutoff point. I understand this is getting really far out. I don't know what this type, I don't know what this scenario even is anymore. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know what this is. Um, but uh, you know, I'd take 2008 in a heartbeat. I'd take 2004. I'd take 1999. I mean, now we're that's easy. If they offer you 1999, you take it right away. But we don't get that. We can't recreate that. We can't go back to that. And uh, what we can do, though, I think like what you can do is you can like think about you can think about like uh, when I, like taking influence from that period, and not influence in the sense of like trying to recreate it, because this is something you see a lot in music. It's very much what I was saying about video games, where like once every few years, if I'm bored and I need to throw some money away. I'll find some like modern day RPG that somebody made that's influenced by Super Nintendo or PlayStation RPGs and it's heralded as like, oh, it's a throwback to Chrono Triggers. You know, it's like they, they invoke the names of these masterpieces and you're like, yeah, I'll give it a chance. And you play it and you're like, yeah, you know, it, it, it looks really good and like they, they, they worked hard on this. It's competent. No magic. No magic. There's no magic to it. It's very similar with music where, you know, there are these certain periods where the best work was done in a given genre. Like, I think most people would agree that death metal's best period was what, like 1988 to 94, 95? I mean, like... You can definitely find great albums, I mean, way later than that. But I think if you were to, like, isolate a period, I mean, you might even go, like, 80, 87, 88. I'd have to look and see when certain things were released. But it's, like, let's just say, like, late 80s to early 90s. You would say, like, that's probably when, if you had to pick a period when the best death metal was being produced, you'd choose that. And if you're conservative about it, You'd always be measuring other things up against that. Even if you like other things, you'd constantly be measuring things up against that. But you can't be those bands again. And you can see where, like, as our culture has stagnated more and more, and we've been given access to, like, more and more influences and things to draw from, we started, like, trying to create, like, our own Frankensteins out of everything. And I remember about 10 years ago, maybe, maybe more... 10, 12 years ago, like people had, had kind of rediscovered Swedish death metal demos. 
like more raw, like like bands like Entombed. I think it was like Nihilist who was the band before them. That was never really my style. Like that stuff is cool in its own right. I was never that into like that style of Swedish death metal, but it has its place, of course. But like people had rediscovered like demo, like obscure Swedish death metal demos. And so new bands in like 2010 were coming out and they're like, we're influenced by this one specific demo from a Swedish band that became this band or like this band nobody ever heard of. And like, I, you know, that stuff's great. Like I'm influenced by weird shit, by like treasures and things like that. But it's just like you can't – these people were almost trying to recreate that where it's like, oh, we're going to be we're, – we're going to model ourselves after a band from 1988 that released one demo. We're going to borrow their aesthetic and we're going to try to be one of those bands. And it's like I understand why you like that. There is a magic to that stuff. But you can't be that in 2010. You definitely can't be it in 2022. You cannot recreate that magic. You can be competent. You can be influenced by it, but you cannot recreate anything close to that. At best, you're just you're wearing a costume. You might as well be at a costume party. And creativity is an algorithm anyway. You know, you, you feed stuff into it. And I mean, that's what I'm learning. I mean, this kind of segues into something else where... Just to finish that thought, I'm going to segue, but just to finish that thought, it's like, that's kind of a, you see conservatism play out. Like you would never think like, oh, punk rock is, is a conservative, like there's no conservatism in punk rock. Like obviously there are conservative politics in punk, uh, but, uh, you know, you would never really think of like, you don't, you just don't think of conservatism as a, uh, a punk you don't think of it being common in punk, but like, what is the whole punk's dead thing? Like by the late seventies, probably by the mid seventies, like by the time like punk was a year old, people were saying punk is dead. Crass was saying that people were saying that that's a kind of a conservative view. It's kind of like, it was this thing that existed for basically there, there was a, a time where this was relevant and it's been ruined. It goes back to what I was saying in the last episode where like a strong conservative tendency is to not only see change as bad, but like to see the new thing as ruining the old thing. Because oftentimes it literally does ruin it. Oftentimes it does seek to actually change that thing that you loved. And that's what we're seeing in the culture now where it's like remaking every series with a gay kissing scene recasting you know remaking every movie with the burger king kids club diversity cast you know it's not that that necessarily ruins it but it's like it's like forcing an agenda on all of it that is progressivism when it goes utterly haywire i'm not opposed to progressive i'm not opposed to progressivism in theory a lot of the ideas should be coming from a good place But there's this off-the-rails progressivism that results in forcing its agenda, not simply doing what's natural. It's, it forces itself on everything, and it forces things that are already fully formed to change. And what it does is it breaks those things to change them. And then the people who love those things hate them now. And then they say, oh, well, you hate them because you're a bigot. 
You hate them because you just can't deal with change. You hate them because the problem's with you. Oh, the reason you hate the new Star Wars movies is because you're the one with the problem. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like you fundamentally changed the thing that I always liked. You might even have removed the things that I liked about it. But segueing here, um, there's this new AI site, and it, it's gotten pretty popular recently, and it's kind of like framed around art. Like, I think that the idea is that this is a way to make AI-generated art based on the name, too. It's like a pun related to a famous artist. So I assume they're coming from an artistic point of view, but I haven't really looked into it, but it's kind of swept the internet. And like you type a phrase in, you type like a scenario or you type a person's name, like saying like with so-and-so or doing this or wearing this. And it uses AI, probably pulling from Google image search, but it uses AI to create an image of that. And it gives you nine examples. And some of them are very far out and abstract. And it has a tendency to like make people's faces look like really fucked up and eerie. I think they did that on purpose. Like I think it's hard to tell, but you know, and obviously like the most, it, it's, it's really good at doing renditions of like really famous people because if it, if it has like a ton of photos of one person, like for example, like the obvious one is Trumpsfeld. Like if you if you tell it to like generate images of like Trumpsfeld doing something, it's pretty good at giving a rendition of him because it has so many examples of him to pull from. And there are things that like like it can be very hard at times to generate certain images if they're very specific. But it's like one, for example, you could type in is like I think I typed in like Vito Corleone from The Godfather wearing a blue beanie. Just something really stupid. And it generated like a pretty good rendition nine different times of, you know, Marlon Brando as Don Corleone wearing a blue beanie. And I, I, that, that's just, that's like, that's like, it's like a, a PG 13 version of the things I've been looking up. I almost didn't want to use it at first though. This, this feels demonic. This feels cursed. I am not a proponent of AI, but the potential, it, it is, it, and it's too funny. Like the first night that I was using it, I was laughing out loud, which I don't do nearly enough. I was cracking up at some of the faces it was generating, just some of the, the imagery. Um, I mean, some of the things it was coming up with were so bizarre too. So I was having a lot of fun with it and like, you know, now I'm, I'm not really worried about it. But at first I was kind of like, I, this feels demonic. This feels wrong. I don't know if I want to encourage this. I don't know if I want to feed this beast. Because the sad truth is a lot of what this thing generates is better art than what most artists are making. It, it's really true. It feels more creative and interesting. And I hate to say that. The results, like even just the average results you get from this thing feel more creative and interesting than a lot of the art you see from people out there.
And that might apply to me too. You know, I might be included in that. But uh, it's, uh, it really got me thinking because I'm like, I was telling my friend Cameron about it. And I was saying, you know, it's it's not far off now. The fact that like this thing, you can type in a phrase and a, and a lot of it comes back like with not what you typed in. Like a lot of times it comes up messy and not really what you wanted. Sometimes though it hits you with something that's perfect. And this thing's obviously in its infant stages. And I'm like, pretty soon you really will be able to generate a picture of anybody doing anything. You know, I know people have already been doing this with video. This is probably babies, baby stuff compared to like what sort of AI power is out there. Like there probably are people right now who have some sort of program in development that's a way more advanced version of this where you can type like something about me. I mean, I, I told that story about the homeless wigger pulling his pants down and me calling the cops on him. Somebody could type my name in and write like Eric, Eric Stonefell as a homeless wigger pulling his pants down in public. And they could make they could turn me into that guy. There's I'm sure there's AI software that's gonna be that powerful if it doesn't already exist. You will be able to create an image of anything. You will be able to you'll be able to create Frankensteins of your own making out of anything. And my joke for a while, like for a couple of weeks, I came up with this joke a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, this, this it's like the end result. The the um, the logical conclusion of AI creativity is a remake of Pinocchio starring Frankenstein. Like that's ultimately what AI will create. They're going to create a remake of Pinocchio where Pinocchio is played by Frankenstein. I'm starting to believe that's true, except the AI might even be more creative than I gave it credit for. Based on like what I'm seeing here, I know it's just hybridizing things based on its limited points of reference. I know that this software that I, I've been using is just combing Google image search, and it's really good at like recognizing, it has some sort of ability to like recognize which objects in pictures are what. But it's still just like combing, it's, it's like analyzing a bunch of pictures, creating a Frankenstein of them. It's basically what I think it's doing. But I was telling my friend Cameron about it, and I'm like, you know, based on what I'm seeing here, it won't be long before we're doing this with music too. It won't be long before like you could type in like the names of like three bands into some sort of AI generator it goes through YouTube or Spotify or some sort of database of music and it, it creates like a new band or a new song that's basically like a Frankenstein hybrid of like the three bands you typed in. And you, maybe even you could get into specific parts. Like I want to hear a new song that combines like this section of this song with this, you know, it's like, we're not that far removed from just like creating brand new music out of thin air by just typing in a phrase or like, I feel like we're, we're not far off from that at all. We'll be able to do it with video too. And so you're just going to have human beings generating their own custom entertainment all the time. And it's going to be insane. 
Because when I was just sitting there with this this image generator app, this this image generator AI, I don't know if it's an app, it's just a website. I don't know what counts as an app or not anymore. But uh, you know, sitting there with it, I was like, this takes a long time, and like sometimes it uh, it doesn't load. But I could sit here and entertain myself for hours if this thing was a little bit better. Like if this thing was just slightly better and faster. Not that I'm impatient. I mean, I, I, keep in mind, like this is, this is crazy stuff. It's unbelievable it even exists. It's unbelievable that 30 years ago I was looking at Joust on an Atari screen and my imagination was just like, what is this? A man riding a bird. What am I seeing? And now we're at a point where you can just type a phrase in and you see images that no human eye has ever seen before of, of the thing that you told it to generate. That's crazy. So I'm not impatient, but in terms of like sitting there, I mean, we're all, we're all more impatient than we ever were in years past. I mean, it doesn't matter how impa- it doesn't matter how patient you are. We've gotten used to things loading quicker. We've gotten used to everything happening much quicker, especially in terms of entertainment. So it's like having to sit there for two minutes while this generates images. You know, it's sort of a passive activity. You, you type something in, you do something else, you check it, you type something in. But it's like, I was thinking, I was like, yeah, I could see our entire civilization sitting there at their computers every single night. If you were able to do this with music and video, you'd just be creating your own entertainment endlessly forever, especially if it got good at what it was doing. And I don't feel like it's that hard to imagine anymore. Even this thing, as, as crude as some of the results on this thing are, it really kind of blew my mind. Like I've heard about things like this. I've heard about, I've heard about these video versions, whatever those things are called, where like they make, a, they make a reproduction of somebody talking and they make them say things they didn't say, how like they've gotten much better at generating those. I've heard about all that stuff, but actually being able to sit there and type it in myself and see the results. And like some of the results are kind of staggering. I mean, this thing is geared toward artwork and I'm not promoting this. I think this thing is like, this thing is a gamble. I don't think I'm doing any harm by like looking into this, but it does kind of feel like staring into the abyss. I think that's the best way to put it. Like looking at that dialogue box that allows you to type in a phrase and it will generate all these images some of which capture that phrase, some of which produce brand new, insane visuals nobody, no human eyes ever seen. You kind of do feel like you're staring into an abyss. So I'm not promoting this thing, but I am saying it's very interesting and it kind of got my mind going. Because it made me think, because there were a couple things that it generated where I was like, oh yeah, you know, an artist now who has no ideas they could just type something into this and even if they didn't trace it, even if they didn't copy it directly, they could just take influence from it. And I would feel very cheap doing that. I, I don't think I could ever bring myself to do that. Of like generating AI art or AI visuals and then like basically drawing them myself. 
I don't think I could bring myself to do that, but I was like, a lot of artists are going to do that. I mean, if these images were higher quality, you could end up with people just saving these and claiming them as their own art. You know, if the quality of the images got just a little bit better, higher resolution, I, I could easily believe people trying to pass this stuff off as their own, especially if you ask it to do something in a certain art style. Like one that I got a kick out of was like telling it to draw someone as a police sketch because it's really good at that. And it's funny. Like I, I asked it to draw KRS-One, the, the rapper, because I saw him speak here. I think I might have talked about that before, but like around 10 years ago or so, like a long time ago, I, a friend and I saw KRS-One do a, a live speech at a community college here. Really good. He spoke for three hours, didn't take a sip of water, then went downtown and did a concert. I didn't care to go to the concert, but really, really smart guy. Interesting to hear him talk. But, uh, you know, he, his features are obviously very distinct. And so I, I, he just came to mind. I was like, oh, he'd be a good police sketch. So I typed in like KRS-One police sketch. The results were amazing. It accentuated everything you'd want it to accentuate, like his nose and everything. And then the next one, I was like, oh, Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon police sketch just blew me away. They, they looked like hand-drawn pencil police sketches. And it was, they were like good caricatures. And they, and they too, like, they generated like a variety of police sketches. Because as someone who's like followed the, the crime subject closely for many years, it's interesting to note like the difference in quality of police sketches. Where like some people, it looks like an eighth grader drew it in art class. Like really basic outline, just like lightly shaded in. It could be anybody. And there were a couple of Vince McMahon that looked like that, where it was just like, this looks like an eighth grader drew it for fifth period art class. But there were some that were like really well done caricatures in a police sketch style where like they really accentuated like Vince McMahon's chin or his nose or something. And I was like, I had to like remind myself that these didn't exist until I typed it in. I had to sit there and go like, these aren't just available on the internet. These, these like fake police sketches of Vince McMahon, the owner of WWE, these don't exist until now. It is, it's, it's insane. And they were so good. They were so convincing. Like before this AI generator was created, if I had just shown somebody these sketches of Vince McMahon and said like, I did these, these pencil sketches of Vince McMahon, they'd be like, those are incredible. But they didn't exist until now. It's just that this thing knows how to do things in a police sketch style. Because it, it, it looks at probably Google image search and it looks at like what police sketches look like. Then it looks at Vince McMahon and it actually makes this. But it's also, there's something kind of sad and sobering about what it means for human creativity. Because some people are just creative in a way that could never be mimicked by a machine. There are some people who the machines will never catch up to. They're the people who are like truly iconoclastic, who just truly have something 
deeply special going on inside of them that can't be reproduced by any other human, let alone a machine. But I think a lot of people are just kind of programmed to do what they're doing. There's a lot of creative people out there where like what they're doing isn't really any more sophisticated than like, I'm going to combine this with this. And the machine might even be better at it than them. There are people who just like look at two bands and are like, I'm going to do this, but with a little bit of this. And sometimes that's really good. Sometimes you end up like accidentally stumbling, stumbling upon something like totally innovative that way. But a lot of people just kind of create these like cheap Frankensteins out of things. There's a lot of people where like their entire creative approach is just to be like, I'm going to combine this with this. And how is that any different than this AI generator? It just does it quicker and maybe even a little better. And I'm not saying this to be anti-human. I would never speak. I would never take the side of AI over my flesh and blood human brothers. I would never do that. But I would kind of throw a little barb out there. I would, I would, uh, I would uh, get a little sharp-tongued and say that uh, maybe a lot of creative people aren't that creative. Maybe a lot of artists, maybe a lot of like creative people aren't actually very creative. And they're just like, I'm going to combine this with this. And this machine does it far more, it's, it's far more impressive. Maybe it doesn't have soul in it. I don't know, though. That's the thing that's kind of scaring me. Is some of the stuff that, that comes, not everything, but some of the stuff that you generate from this kind of feels like there's something behind it. Not, you know, I'm not going too far with that thought. I just kind of get a little bit of a feeling. It's different than anything else I've seen AI generate. There, if, if this continues, there could be some interesting questions. We could live in, in interesting times. And if my little prediction is true, and I'm not saying it will be, but the fact that this has allowed people to, or the fact that ideas like this might allow people to create their own custom everything. And there'll be no, um, there'll, somebody's going to own it all because we're going to live in a dismal dystopia. Somebody's going to have control. Somebody's going to profit. But each person's individual experience very well might be generated on a whim. Just something you type in that night. But it probably will just end up with like being Frankenstein playing Pinocchio. It just will be a remake of Pinocchio starring Frankenstein. Because just like I'm starting to wonder, maybe this AI is actually just as creative, if not more creative than a lot of human beings. But if that's true, if, if, if this AI is just as sophisticated creatively as human beings, some of them, not certainly not all of them, but some of them, maybe many of them, what does that say for the consumers? 
Like if we reach a point where the consumers of these things are the ones who get to come up with the ideas, what the fuck are we going to end up with? Fan fiction is bad enough, and, and those people are have more going on than, than most people. What you're going to end up with is, is Frankenstein playing Pinocchio. What you're going to end up with is like is just like people sitting there in their liver, living rooms eating, um, you know, it's like eating takeout as always. And they're just going to be typing in like Christian Bale playing the lead character in Game of Thrones. It's just going to be like, what if Star Wars starred... Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger instead of Mark Hamill. What if Chewbacca was two feet tall? You know, like, that's the sort of stuff that people would end up doing because they're not very creative. And they're really impressed by novelty. (laughs) And, like, I noticed that already. Like, I saw some really funny stuff that other people generated in this uh, AI generator. But a lot of the stuff I saw, because I went to a website where like someone was curating like some of the results people have generated. And there were some really funny things and interesting things that people came up with. But a lot of it was just like Arnold Schwarzenegger holding a hot dog. You know, it's just like like so and so and so and so. Like, a lot of it revolved around, like, what are those things? I don't even know what movie they're from. What are they called? Minions. A lot of the ideas people had were, like, the Minions doing... I mean, there was a kind of funny one that was, like, the Minions at a KKK rally. But it's like, I don't even know what the Minions are. I see them all over. A lot of the rednecks around here love the Minions. A lot of the people with farms... Like multiple farms in this area, people have turned like old. Um, there's a minion up the street from me. Somebody turned like an old trash can on their property into a minion. They painted it, and then down the highway a little ways on the way to Centralia, probably like 15 minutes from here, somebody like turned like these like old oil tanks into minions. There's something about like the people on farms, like the rural people around here. They really like minions, but I don't. I don't know anything about them. I've just seen them. I can ima- I can kind of. I've had to assume what minions are and what they do. Like I know exactly who they are through cultural osmosis. Like the little yellow guys with I think maybe overalls and glasses or something. But I have no actual idea where they come in. I guess because they're called minions, they're obviously like maybe a bad guy's lackey. But I don't know. I've been totally operating on I've been operating on pure assumption as to what minions actually do and are. I'm just like, oh yeah, they're weird. Like I think that I, I've always assumed they're the same thing as the uh the alien from uh, Toy Story. Like in Toy Story there's these little like uh like these little uh tchotchke alien guys, and I think there's a bunch of them. And I, I guess, like, I just assume the minions are the same thing. But anyway, like, what I saw of this this AI generator is that, like, tons of people 
we're generating like minions related stuff. Like the minions doing this. The minions doing this. I want to see the minions, you know, riding horses. No, not even that interesting. A lot of it's just Frankenstein stuff. A lot of it's Frankenstein stuff where it's just like, combine this famous thing with this famous thing. Combine Batman with Star Wars. Hi. What do you want to see in the AI generator, Jimmy? Batman combined with Star Wars. The worst character in the world. I want to see what it would be like if Batman was in Star Wars. Oh, man, I have... I have nothing but I, I can generate an image of anything I ever wanted. This is amazing, man. I'm, I'm, I'm alive in 2022 and I can generate an image of anything I ever wanted. I want to see Batman in Star Wars. I want to see Star Wars, but instead of Darth Vader, it's Batman. Hey! It's kind of, I mean, that's what people do. That's what people do with unlimited potential. They type in, I want to see Star Wars, but instead of Darth Vader, it's Batman. And instead of Stormtroopers, the Minions. That's what people do when they have unlimited potential at their fingertips. I'm looking at Batman stretched out, very tired. And he has no fucking idea what I'm talking about. He has not even a clue. I'd like to see what he generates. I'd like to see what he would come up with. No, and I'm not knocking people. But that's ultimately like what the average person is going to like look for. It's going to be like, what if this was this? What if Spider-Man was in Star Wars? You know, that's that's kind of what people end up doing when they when they have just like all, all they can think in are like combining two things that already exist. The most they can do is create like a very elaborate Frankenstein. Where it's like, oh no, no, I have a brand new idea. Here's a brand new idea. We're gonna combine Darth Vader with Batman, and then we're going to have uh, Spider-Man show up, and it's going to be on the, on the, uh, it's going to be based in Twin Peaks. We're going to have Star Wars characters and Batman and Spider-Man, and they're going to be in, in Twin Peaks, directed by David Lynch. And the music score is going to be done by uh, Beethoven. There, you know, you just end up creating these Frankenstein's of things that already exist. But if AI is able to generate something new on its own, that's the question. That is the big question. If AI is able to generate something completely on its own, because it's all what it's already doing is very impressive. But can it do more than just create Frankensteins that you programmed it to do? I mean, that's kind of what I'm waiting to see. I'm waiting to see how far this thing will go. And I'm kind of terrified. It really is like staring into the AI abyss.
This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free